iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ready? Line it up. Here he goes back. Now you say go. I'm squeezing. You can't do this every morning. It's way too corny. It's just till he's 18. Smile. I got it. Pittsburgh police, this is an arrest warrant. You're under arrest for murder. Ah! Go, 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 go. Forget that Laura's your wife. Look at the evidence. I've seen the evidence. She's innocent. It doesn't matter what we believe. Laura is not getting out. I think I'll ever kiss me again. My wife attempted suicide. I have to see two minutes, please. I don't think I can last another 20 years. I promise you, this will not be your life. What do you want to know? How you escaped when no one else could. No prison in the world is that tight. You have to have the entire plan already in place. You have to ask yourself, can you kill a god? Leave your kid at a gas station? Because to do this thing, that's who you have to become. And if you can't, don't start. You'll just get someone killed. Show me where the bullets go. Need some passports. You want this too much. You're gonna screw it up. I'll be back in a moment, okay? Okay. Why are you doing this? Because we have no other choice. Go! Go! The police come up the center of the city sealed tight in 15 minutes. Within 35 minutes, they can have cops at every toll booth on the interstate. Stop that train! Hold on. What if you can't get out? And surrender, because they will shoot you on sight. Ah! Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Paul Haggis and this evening's guest moderator, David Schwartz, from the Museum of Moving Image. Good evening. My name is David Schwartz, and I'm very pleased to welcome Paul Haggis, who is the only person who is, has the um, distinct... You can sit down while I introduce you. I'll sit Canadian. down, too. Exactly. Uh, the only person to have the distinction of writing um, the Oscar-winning films for Best Picture in back-to-back -back years, and that would be the, um, the film that he wrote and directed, Crash, and also the screenplay for Clint Eastwood's film, Million Dollar Baby. And among his screenwriting accomplishments are Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima. He also wrote the screenplay for the great James Bond movie, Casino Royale, uh, directed and wrote the um, wonderful movie In the Valley of Elah, which I think is still the best film that dealt with, with the Iraq War um, and the sort of psychological aftermath. And now he has this very um, exciting action thriller psychological drama uh, in the next three days. So tell us about this, this film. This was um, a film that is based on an existing film um, that you've really made into your own thing. So Yeah, it was... Uh, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> um, it was a, uh, a film I saw about a year and a half ago, a small French film called Pour Elle. 
and uh, I thought it had some really great bones. And it was like 84 minutes long, uh, very slight, but uh, very tense. And I thought I could take that and, and some of the questions that it asked, I could explore a little more in a little more depth. So tell us a bit about, about the story, because this is about a kind of ordinary guy who is thrown into um, a situation where uh, he has to make some pretty tough choices. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just the Hitchcock paradigm. You know, take an ordinary man and put him in extraordinary circumstances. But, um, you know, it, uh, uh, it, it... Tell you about it. Wow. Uh, I don't know what to say. That's pretty much it. it it's uh, you know, it hopefully a nice little thriller. Well, one thing that, um, you, you know... We, well, people will notice right off the bat is this incredible piece of casting that you have Russell Crowe um, in the lead role. So I guess if you could talk about just uh, when did you choose, sure. choose him and then what, what well, you were I, trying to do with I, the I don't like to think about actors while I'm actually writing a screenplay because I think that does people disservice, the actors, because you start writing for um, what you've seen them do before and, and that's, that's never a good thing. So, so I write the script and then think about casting and then when we finished that, we had a very short list and, and Russell was at the top of that short list. I didn't know we'd get him. He was still shooting Robin Hood at the time. And uh, his agent said he wants to take a break. We're probably not to get him. But we sent him the script anyways. And, uh, and he said yes. So I went over to meet him. He cooked me a steak in his backyard over in, in uh, Surrey. And uh, overcooked it because we, st- we were talking too much. Uh, and he's, he's still upset about that, I think. Uh, and uh, he said, yeah, he liked the script. And, and, uh, and just wanted to be an actor. He'd just come off Robin Hood, which was producing as well. I just wanted to be an actor and, and do it. And I said, great, can you start next week? And he said, no. <laughs> and so we negotiated and he started five weeks later. Wow. So uh, just to give a sense of what the situation is that he finds himself in, because he plays a professor, basically. Yeah. Somebody who's, uh, and that's, that's what I, when I started researching this, because I took this, this, uh, this French thriller and then said, okay, how would I do this? How would I try and break someone out of jail? And I think, well, a, you know, an English teacher at a community college is much like a writer. Uh, we'd have the same access to information. We, we wouldn't be the, the kinds of guys who uh, we'd look at and go, oh, he can break somebody out of prison. Um, and so I uh, said, so what would I do? Well, I'd go online. So I started Googling how to break out of prison. And, uh, and it's amazing what you can find. Um, <laughs> really amazing. You know, the first thing I found is most... Uh, most attempts are by helicopter, most successful attempts are by helicopter. And so uh, I said, hmm, okay, this is a jail, the largest jail uh, in the world right now, the Pittsburgh jail, but there's no exterior space. So I said, I wonder what's on the roof. And I Googled what was on the roof, wow. I Google mapped that. I said, oh, that, I could land a helicopter there. How, how do you get to the roof? And then uh, it started how to make a key, because a lot of them, the, I, I, I did a lot of, I went to, to Pittsburgh first before I wrote to do my research. And they opened the prison to me or the jail, and they were really terrific. They, they showed me how people tried to escape. There have been three escape attempts. No one's made it out alive. Uh, but one of them uh, had, uh, had gotten a key for the elevator, and they went down. Uh, and they, got a, they bribed a prison guard, I think. Uh, and I said, that's too easy. I wonder how you make a key like that. And so I Googled it and found out about bump keys and how you can make one. And so I said, oh, we tried that. It worked. Uh, so basically, you can you you can watch this film and commit any crime you want. I think it's just it's a textbook. <laughs> and I hope that you were using Apple computers to do all your googling. Uh, that's ba- basically, that's what it was. It's if you look at the movie, it's it's how somebody saves your wife by using Apple products uh, because he, <laughs> do- he does. It's because what I have, you know, I use his iPhone and he, and he and he takes pictures of the the stuff and he duplicates that on screen and he uses his computer and yeah, it's it's, it's basically that. Okay, tell us a bit about about Russell Crowe. He's a gr- he's one of those great actors who you, who is really a character actor. He just sort of becomes other people in, in, in his films. He, um, 
and he's so convincing in this. In yeah, this I mean, role. we think of Russell Crowe, and if you, he's a larger-than-life personality. And, uh, and if you think of him, you, you automatically think of his roles in Gladiator or Robin Hood. I mean, these, these great heroic uh, you know, roles. Uh, but you also, I mean, you have to remember, that he, you know, we remember quickly that he did, you know, Insider and Beautiful Mind and all these deeply complex characters. So I knew, I, I wanted somebody who, that, uh, who I knew that within five minutes of watching a film, you'd, you'd, you'd say, oh my God, the poor guy, he'll never be able to pull this off. And, and I knew he could do that. And he just, he just stepped into that role. It was great. Yeah. And uh, because the film, I don't want to give away, tell me if I'm giving away anything here, but he, he's, he, there's an uncertainty about whether or not his wife yeah. is guilty, which we is really know. interesting. Yeah. And he's got to uh, like play the whole film with this uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, it's, it talks about the nature of belief. That uh, you know, here everybody thinks she's guilty, even her own attorney thinks she did it, uh, and his parents did. And it talks about you know, the... Uh, What's that like in a relationship or in anything when, when, when the evidence is all pointing one way uh, and you can choose to believe the evidence or you can choose to believe the person you love? And that's a tough decision. Yeah. And he chooses to believe the person you love no matter, no matter what. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, so it's that real emotional journey that must yes. have dr- drawn you to yeah. working with this material. Yeah, that, that was it. It was, it was exploring that. Yeah. Um, another sort of star of the movie is... The City of Pittsburgh. It's a film that has a, a real sense of atmosphere and a real sense of, um, of the location, you know, of this sort of... Yeah, I chose Pittsburgh for a number of reasons. One, uh, I was looking for something, you know, I had, I had the geography mapped out where I needed it uh, uh, to be uh, for, the, for the plot. Uh, and then I narrowed it down and, uh, and we, we took off Pittsburgh. It had a, it has, you know, it has a good film community. I said, we'll, we'll go there. Uh, and I looked at it and uh, I quickly realized I could shoot here. But I, I, I wanted a city uh, that paralleled the plot. And in Pittsburgh, it, you know, it was a steel town. And you look at uh, his dad, played by Brian Dennehy, and he's one of those you know, man's yeah. men and you know, very, rarely talks. And, and you know, I think he has three lines in the movie, one of which he ad-libbed, therefore adding 30% to his role. But it was such a gift getting Brian, because I see him do all these fabulous roles on Broadway and in films. And I knew he'd never do this, but he sat on the script and he went, oh, okay. And so, <laughs> so uh, he did. Uh, but uh, I wanted to say that in that case, we have uh, the steel town, which the, that, that industry died, and it reinvented itself into a city of education and medicine and art. Uh, and so I said, okay, this, the father is that generation. The son is, you know, is, uh, is a teacher, but just a teacher at a community college, so not even a successful teacher, not even like a top academic. And, and, and so uh, and would have to question when this came up whether he was the type of man. Uh, that his father is, where he's the type of man who could pull something like this off, and so the 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 uh, the, 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 the the location really mirrored the plot in that way. Also, they were, you know, I went there and I just said, well, they as I said, they opened the jail to me, and I went through that and went, okay, this is how I'll figure the escape out. And then I walked out in the street and said, okay, I'm here. Where does he go now? I wonder what's over there. And so I went over, and there was a train there. I said, ooh, we get on the train. And then, you know, so, okay, we, we, we hop on the train, took that for a while. And I was, said, well, they're going to be at the next stop. What's that fence? You know, when we get there. So I, so I it was one step by step. I figured out how he was, how he was going to get out and how he was going to be caught if he was going to be caught. Uh, and, uh, and so that's... So you know. the kind of, what you're talking about is like the same sort of journey that his character goes through, trying to figure out how to pull off this incredible... Like it's a heist, basically. It's like a yes. classic heist movie. Yeah. And there's this sort of sense that 
on one hand, he's doing this to save the woman he loves, but there's also the sense that he loves figuring out how to do it step by step. Like it's, yeah, it becomes I mean, like almost a game to him. There, there, there is that. There's this of the intellectual <laughs> pursuit of, of, of something like this. And, and also, he's, you know, when he gives a speech later on, he talks about why he's doing this to his class in a, sort of a very elliptical way. And he's quoting Don Quixote. And you go, oh, that's great. And you feel, yes, yes, we should, we should abandon all rational thought. And, and just, just uh, you know, and, and because you know, I often believe that, 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 that those who do rational things only never actually succeed. It's the insane who succeed at things. If you just, if, if you just, uh, if you, if you just embrace uh, the, the fact that you have no control and you're going to do it anyways, then you can po- possibly succeed. So that's what he does. And you go, yes. And you go, oh, oh, no, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> and so hopefully you have both those feelings. What can you tell us about just um, sort of on a, on a day-to-day basis, like what the working process is like? It's just so great to watch this performance by Russell Crowe because you can see the wheels yeah. turning in his mind where he realizes, okay, I'm going to have to do this extreme thing. To you know, it's, it's not an easy thing working with, uh, with an actor like Russell Crowe. Uh, 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 but it's not an easy thing, thing working with a director like me uh, <laughs> because we were both, we're both passionate and we both have opinions. The great thing is that you know we we had mutual respect, and so we we'd bring a question, I'd I'd toss it back, we we discuss it, and then he'd do it. But not all that often. Uh, usually he'd just come to the set and say, "Where do you want me to sit? Here, okay, boom, and do it." <laughs> and he just fall immediately into the character. Uh, he could be goofing around, and then and he'd just do it. And then once he got to the set, it was hard to get him to leave. He just we want he likes the filmmaking process so much. Uh, so uh, so it uh, you know we work and. Yeah, it was great. And then, what can you tell us about the kind of sort of action side of the movie? Because you know, of course, you had written Casino Royale, so you were certainly um, adept at doing big, elaborate action sequences. But yeah, this film that. sort of wind, you know climaxes with this incredible long, longest yeah, section, like forty which, minutes chase or whatever exactly, which yeah. is just so yeah. beautifully worked out. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, the most important thing for me, and it's, it's a this is a long, slow burn to to a lot of action, and uh, I don't know if audiences are going to have the patience for that uh, because today we want to we, we want to be thrown into uh, you know, the, the plot and the circumstances within the first two minutes when you know, axes coming out of you know, from, from here and. Right. And, you know, and, and, and I, I really love the, the films of the 70s. It really took their time, really made you care about these yeah. characters. And so that when you t- got to the chase scene, you cared that they made it from here to here. It wasn't just what, what the cool shot was. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's hopefully what we did here is, is make sure the in- emotion was instilled in, in every moment of the, of, of, of the action sequence. Yeah. yeah, it really does evoke those, that, those sort of gritty films of the 70s that are set in... The real world and sort of working class environments. Yeah, and, and I, that's with Stefan Fontaine, my my DP. He shot uh, a prophet, and he shot uh, the French film. The yeah, French film that beat my heart skips, and and, and oh. I found him there. And uh, and I really love the fact that he didn't lose use a lot of light, and uh, and it, it evoked the, the films of the seventies. So that's what we yeah. we tried to do. Okay, so if anybody has um, questions, raise your hand, and we'll bring around a microphone. So just wait for the microphone. Right in front. Hi, uh, boy, it looks great. Um, Thank you. I can't wait to see it. Opens um, next Friday. <laughs> Tell your friends. <laughs> November 19th at yeah. a theater near you. Uh, first question, a little provocative, but it looks like the kind of role Mel Gibson might have done at a certain point. Um, 
You ever, yeah. Did you think about him at all for the role? No. Or? Yep. Okay. <laughs> if you've got Russell Crowe, what do you, what do you need? <laughs> what do you need anybody else for? So, exactly. and, and the other question real fast. Uh, it's famous that in Hollywood uh, that everybody wants to rewrite Three Days of the Condor and, you know, producers yeah. roll their eyes when they yeah. get a script and, you, and you've named this Three Days. It, it provokes... Yeah, I didn't realize at the time yeah. that, that uh, these Three Days of the Condor is my favorite you know, uh, film of that genre. Yeah. I didn't realize that you know, when I came up the next Three Days that it, it, was, it was probably an, an homage to that. It's you know I could never approach the film as good as that, but uh, yeah. but I, I really it's, it's Sidney Pollack and and uh, uh, and, and uh, what was the writer's name? Um, no, I'll tip my tongue. Remember a second, it did a fabulous job. Question well, we, number. We can Google it. Right. Right here. Hi, looking forward to it. What were some of the issues that you more deeply explored and expanded on from Poor L? that you alluded to earlier. Well, I mean, I talked, I guess, the nature of trust and belief and really uh, digging into that. Uh, and and when would you change yourself into somebody, uh, you know, if, if, if you love someone, uh, would you, would you, uh, if you, sorry, <laughs> a little brain dead. Uh, you know, if, if you, if the circumstances came up uh, that, you know, your wife was in prison or someone you loved was, was there, would you change yourself from somebody who was just a, just a good guy into someone who could do something like this uh, and therefore quite possibly turn into someone that she could no longer love in order to save her? And I thought that's interesting uh, because I knew that one, it, it films, uh, American films are morality tales. I've always already done that. I've always embraced that. And here I knew if he, if he was going to pull something like this off, he'd lose one of three things. He'd lose the things he carried, but he'd lose his wife, he'd lose his son, or he'd lose himself. And that's, you know, one of those things is what he loses. And he's got to do a list with that big question mark somewhere in his mind, which, yeah. which we see in that scene with Daniel Stern, you know. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, yeah. it was a lot of fun playing with this. We have a question back row center. Wait, we have a question in the back. Hey, how you doing? Um, I just wanted to ask you, uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of your, your screenplays and stuff like that. Can't hear you, sir. I said, I just wanted to ask you, I said, I'm a big fan of a lot of your screenplays and stuff like that, but I wanted to ask you, um, with it being harder to sell specs uh, in the Hollywood system, uh, what advice would you give to aspiring writers, uh, you know, in, in that realm? And two, uh, do you uh, regret not doing Medellin with uh, Vincent Chase? <laughs> yes, I regret not doing Medellin with, Medellin with Vincent Chase, the bugger. Went out and found a better director. Um, the uh, uh, advice to writers trying to break in, the, I think the best thing uh, that I could come up with is as soon as possible, win a couple of Oscars because it really helps. Uh, it really helped me. Uh, you know, I came from nobody to, you know, to screenwriter people wanted to take seriously. No, uh, no the, what, I, what I believe is that you'd write something that you uh, are passionate about. And don't take the advice that uh, sort of well-meaning agents and managers and friends that you should write uh, what's commercial or what people are looking for. I did that for many years and failed for many years doing it. I'd hear that Paramount was looking for a female-driven thriller, so I came up with ideas on that. And by the time I got them up with the ideas, first of all, they don't come from your gut. They're just like, oh, this could be cool and that could be cool. By the time you get there, they've got that thing anyways. And so, so write from your gut. Write from something that some you know, questions uh, are, are the best thing, things I find, things that make you angry, uh, things that uh, you don't understand, can't comprehend about yourself. That, that can usually make a good screenplay. And then put it into a format that uh, you know, is, 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 is entertaining. Yeah, so, well, now you, you started in television writing, I, I think, different, was Different Strokes your first? 
That was the first series he did. Yeah, I, I sort of like scripts to like Love Boat and <laughs> Three's Company and uh, yeah, Different Strokes was my first series. And then I did that and Facts of Life and One Day at a Time and all, all, all of Norman Lear's lesser shows. Exactly. All my <laughs> friends were doing like Archie Bunker wow. and all in the family and Maude and I was doing different strokes and uh or they were doing cheers and taxi and I was you always doing... have in mind that you wanted to do screenwriting or get into film or yeah no i went down there uh to uh to to do movies and i just uh, i was lucky enough to get into television and, and earn, earn a good living as a as a writer to support my family so yeah you moved from canada right yes yeah. okay uh, question right here hi i'm curious uh what your if you have a certain approach to uh, an idea when you're writing an original screenplay if you have a method or is it different for each project yeah, I, I look for something that I'm thinking about, that something is bothering me. Uh, and that was Crash, that was in the Valley of Ella, uh, both original, well, you know, the, both basically originals. And, uh, and then, um, uh, and this next, I'm writing a spec script now uh, about relationships, because I like to write about things I don't understand. And uh, so, yeah, mm. that's what I do. <laughs> okay. Uh, sticking to the writing theme, thanks for stopping by, first of all. Um, it, I, I guess I would phrase this question. I have been thinking in the last few days. When you're starting as a, 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 a... When you start writing project by project, at what point do you typically figure out how it's going to end? You know, do you right not start... I'd like to know how it's going to end with, you know, before I start writing it, uh, way before I start writing before I do much else. I go back to the beginning, the end, the beginning, the end. I, I look at the values the character has, the, what that character cares for the most, tries to find a, a, try to find a terrible choice within there, and that'll tell me the ending. And then, uh, uh, and then I go from there. Uh, the, the ending drives everything. When I wrote Casino Royale, I wrote the entire script backwards. They, they'd given me a script, uh, a good script, uh, which is very different than, than, the, than the way I thought it should go. Um, the ending in there, their, their act three, um, was very faithful to the book. And um, it, if, you, if you saw Casino Royale, what, what the ending that they presented was Bond and Vesper go to, to, um, uh, to Venice. Uh, Bond goes out and does something rather and comes back to the hotel and finds Vesper dead in the bed. She's committed suicide. She slit her wrist. And then with a note that says, watch the television. And she watches television. Bonds and turns, turns the television on and watches for three or four pages of, of uh, exposition. Well, she tells uh, uh, Bond what she's done, that she betrayed him and all this. And then she said, there's a man in the square who's got the, uh, the briefcase, and he's the really real bad guy, and you get to chase him. So then Bond goes out and chases some guy we've never met before into a sinking house and kills him. And so they asked me what I would do. I said, well, I don't know... They already had the sinking house. They were building it. And I said, I, I'm, I'm not sure uh, why, but I know that Vesper needs to be in that sinking house. I know that he has to discover that she's betrayed him. He has to then try and kill her because he's so outrageous, uh, so outraged. Uh, and then uh, he has to try and save her, and then she's going to kill herself. And, and, and he's not going to be able to save her, and that's going to destroy him. And, she, and they said, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And so I wrote, I wrote the, uh, the last you know, 25 pages. Uh, they liked that. And then I went back and wrote Act 2, you know, my version of Act 2. And then I wrote my version of Act 1. Uh, and then, uh, then they got Daniel Craig, and I took one pass all the way through it after that. Hmm. So yeah, the ending is really, really important. It's everything. Uh, back row right. Hi. Um, 
I'd like to know, when you're writing, do you have a structure? Like, each story has, each film has a theme and all of its characters and all the movements, but is there an underlying structure that you follow, things that you expect to happen? You know, I, I took uh, Robert McKee's class in the 80s. Uh, and I really took a lot from that. I took it twice. I had lunch with him last year. He didn't remember this, that I was a student. And, uh, uh, but uh, uh, he, uh, uh, he told me that this thing I was writing uh, wasn't a thriller. It was a caper film. That was the format for this. I went, oh, really? He said, yeah, that's, that's what breakout, you know, prison break movies and heists are all capers. I went, oh, cool. So uh, I, uh, I, I didn't sit down and go, oh, I've, I need to do a caper. What are the rules of capers? But I, but I sort of... I've seen enough movies, you'd sort of figure it out. That you have to set these things up and go. I, I probably, if I adhered more to a certain story structure, I'd do, do a better job, but I don't. Uh, I, uh, I, do need, I do, do know that you know, some of the things that, that, uh, that Robert talks about are really, really important. The fact that you have to put your character in this place where they have to make a terrible choice and you have to continue to make things worse and worse for that character. So I try to just keep twisting twisting, twisting the, uh, the dial and, 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 and sort of tighten the rope around, around the, the, the protagonist until the protagonist can't breathe uh, and then keep doing it. Uh, just thinking, making things worse and worse. And usually we find that what, what we do to ourselves uh, is worse than what anyone can do to us. Uh, and the choices that we make, you know, if we, if we can put ourselves in the end, if you're, if you're fighting in the, a villain in the end, you're making the same choices that villain would have made. Uh, then you've probably got a good screenplay. One thing that's really interesting in the plot here that gives a lot of tension is the fact that there's a child in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, could you talk maybe about that? Because so much of the plot hinges around choices that have to do with yeah, that little Ty, boy. Ty Simpkins plays his son. He does a wonderful job. He's a great and skilled actor. Uh, and I like I the idea that this, that this father and, and husband had to, had to break or try to break his wife out of prison with his son in tow. Uh, and you know, had to do a lot of surveillance with him around, had to get babysitters and, and arrange for, you know, to pick up from school and all this while he was trying to do all this. I thought, I thought that's, it, was, it added a, a sense of, of reality that, uh, uh, that we don't usually see in this kind of film. And, and even more, it makes it even more suspenseful. Yeah, yeah and also you really see why, you know, that he desperately wants, he sees his wife disintegrating before his eyes in prison and he sees his son becoming more and more alienated uh, from his mother, and, uh, and he just can't allow that to happen. Yeah. He just needs to do something to reunite them. Yeah. Okay. You, you, uh, I did want to ask, since you mentioned, um, you, you gave the advice that you should go out and win some Oscars. Yeah, yeah. So what did happen to you, like, right after, like, right after winning, winning the Oscar for Crash? I mean, how, you know, how did things change for you right, right well, away? Well, I mean, I, I chose not to do a big Hollywood movie. I chose to do In the Valley of Ella next, and so that was... That was it, I guess it gave me the leverage to get it made. It didn't give me the leverage to get it promoted well or, or distributed well. Unfortunately, it, uh, you know, uh, Warner's Independent didn't uh, was sort of disintegrating at that part uh, point, and uh, uh, and and uh, I, I think Big Warner's didn't believe that it was a commercial piece, and so you know didn't want to waste money on it. So uh, it, it doesn't, you know, they're, they're, they help. But they, they only help to a certain extent. They, they can get you in the room. They can't sell it. And if you, and if you do sell it, they can't guarantee that it's going to be a, a success. Yeah. But that's a movie that's really going to hold up. It's such a, a great film. You must feel Thank proud you. of that. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. yeah. And then did you want to do a Bond film? Was that sort of a dream of yours? No, they or? came to me and, and asked, and I thought they were insane. I, 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 uh, in fact, I called my agents and said, uh, I think this is a mistake. And I said, no, no, Paul, they want to come to you. I said, have they seen my films? <laughs> yes. So Crash, Million Dollar Baby, they've seen these movies. 
Yes. I said, no. Do they realize that if I do bond, I'm going to ruin, for, ruin it for everyone forever? And they said, no, I don't think they're aware of that, Paul. I said, great, I'll do it. And so uh, I, I had a great time. And it actually revitalized the, the, the films yeah, in a I way. I mean, I just asked the same questions of, of that uh, 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 protagonist I'd ask of anyone else. I didn't think of him as, uh, as this heightened hero. I thought I'm just a man. And so I asked the questions of what's it like to kill somebody? You know, and even if you are you know, an SAS officer, a former SAS officer, or, or Green Beret, or whatever, when, if, what's it like to be an assassin? If, if you kill somebody up close, you are going to get blood on your hands. And no matter how much armor you wear around your soul, it is going to affect you in some profound way. And so that's what I do with Bond. And, uh, and then I asked, okay, what's with Bond and women? You know, and, and so I answered that my own way, that, that you know, this betrayal that he felt, uh, and, uh, and then gave him a woman uh, who, was, is, as, who was his match. Yeah. and uh, could really see through all that, uh, all those barricades that, that he'd put up to keep people from seeing who he really was. Mm. And so the loss is that much greater. Yeah. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. Um, my question is, I'm an actor. I graduated from Terry Schreiber's studio. Oh, great. I love Terry. Uh, yeah, he's great. So I wanted to ask you regarding the rehearsal process for your films. I know you said that you had a barbecue with... Russell Crowe, and then yeah. five weeks later, you were shooting. Well, so not quite was, that, but we started pre-production, yeah. Right, but like, so I guess, is there a table read? Is there any rehearsal at all? Or did no. you, could you just kind of show up on the day and do it? You know, I, I once asked uh, Sidney Pollack uh, about his rehearsal process, because I knew that he grew up, you know, he worked at the Actors Studio, and, and it was an acting coach, and this before he, he uh, decided to, uh, to direct. And so I assumed that he'd give me some really good tips on how to rehearse. And he says, uh, I don't do it. I go, what do you mean? He said, well, Paul, every take is a rehearsal, isn't it? Every time you do one, you're going to explore something, and you, you truly don't want to be rehearsing without the, the film rolling. Uh, because what if you get magic and you haven't got it and you never recapture it? I don't necessarily believe that completely, but there's something really said of that because, I, because there, I have done rehearsals when I was doing Crash, and I'd see something. It was just brilliant, and I would be so difficult to recapture that when I actually got up and, and, uh, and it was rolling film. So what I do is I, uh, if I have the chance, and I didn't have much of a chance here. I, I rehearsed with Elizabeth a bit, and I rehearsed with Russell a little bit. But what I do is I just sit across the table, and we read the script, and we discuss it. I figure if an actor can understand the material and the intent, they can play it. If they don't understand the intent, they can't play it. So I just make sure they understand what I was doing, because often the script, the dialogue will, won't say what the person's thinking or feeling. They'll say, it'll say the opposite, hopefully in a good script, uh, because we never tell the truth. None of us ever tells the truth any times. We, we're, we're constantly uh, lying. And, uh, and so, uh, we, uh, so I have to sort of give them some hints, perhaps, about what I mean and what the character's really thinking there. And, and if they get that, then they can play it. So that's what I likely, like to do. It seems to work. And I guess it lets you keep things fresher. There's a feeling yeah. of, of immediacy and spontaneity. Yeah. yeah. And lastly, um, when you do your casting for the smaller roles, the under fives, do you just look at tape or you know, do you audition, are you in the audition room with actors? What do you look well, for? Brian Denny, he's an under five in this one. You know? So I, I look for a brilliant actor uh, is what I look for. And it doesn't matter if the, uh, the actor is, is, a, is a first timer or is, is a veteran like Brian or, or someone else. I was blessed with like Olivia Wilde's and there's a lot of fabulous people came in and did one scene, two scenes for me. Um, so you look for someone who can really embrace it. I, I try not to be in the room for the first reads uh, because I fall in love with all the actors and I want to give them the job. 
uh, and which just makes drives my casting directors nuts because someone will come in, they'll do something that's way off, and, go, and I'll give them a direction. And they'll try this and way off over here, so I'll give them another direction. So we'll take 20 minutes on somebody who's got two lines. Uh, and, and it'll all go way behind. So now I look at tape the first time. I see because it's, it's more dispassionate for me. I truly can look at it. And you, don't, the, you, have, you, don't, you don't come in. I don't go, hey, I don't like you. And once you get the job, I just look at your work. And then if I see a spark, I'll bring you in and I'll work with you. Yeah. We have time for one more question. That's it? Okay, what? two. This, okay, you, good. You like two? <laughs> so fast. Okay. Hi, thanks for coming. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, my question is, uh, like the previous movies, if you look at it, like the James Bond movies or the Terminator, uh, they already had, uh, like, they were follow-up on previous movies, or like this movie is a remake. So how, how is it different for you to make a movie which already has, like, because people have different expectations seeing the previous work, or yeah. making a brand new movie from scratch like how it's, is it different for you how do you approach it i think to remake a film than, than to make an original because yes you have a director and a writer and a cast that have already put their stamp on it and you have to have a really good reason to do it again um and uh, uh it, so i i wouldn't remake a classic i wouldn't remake a hitchcock film i wouldn't remake something that that was done so well that it still lives you know every frame of it lives you know it lives with us all the time um but uh, yeah, it's trying to find your own way of telling a story without just doing so arbitrarily, without just saying, uh, oh, I have to change this because I want to make it different. There are shots in this that are exactly the same thing that Fred did, because I figured that, that he's, the, he's the, Fred Cahie, he's the, uh, uh, he was a first-time director who did this small film in, in France, and I couldn't figure a better way of doing it. And so why do it better than, why, why try to just do it differently? I, I, I honored him and, and did the same thing he did, or two or, three, two or three occasions, two or three important occasions. So, uh, yeah, you, it, the idea is not, is, is not to fall into the trap of just doing something to be different. Uh, I just, it, it just tell the best story. I, I feel I'm a storyteller. My only job is to tell the story the best way I can. Question, all the way back left. Hello. Yeah, I, I, just, I was just wondering as a, as a writer. Um, oh, hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. <laughs> um, when, so you say you're intrigued by certain, so the Bond film or uh, Valley of Allah, uh, you have kind of an inkling of an idea, but how do you take it to the next level? Because as, as a writer myself, you know, you have an idea, but how do you get that research and all that information compiled into a coherent uh, film? When you reach the end there. Well, the, the, with research, the trick is, that I found, is, is don't do too much of it too early. Uh, do enough to understand the basic premise. Then come up with your story, you know, the, and then do the research to fill it in. Now, I'm not talking about, in this case, I did a lot of research, but, the research, but I knew where the film was going to begin and end before I went to Pittsburgh and started, started working out the details. Uh, I, I, knew, I knew emotionally what the arc was, and that's the most important thing. And then you fill it in. Otherwise, you can get lost in that, uh, in that research. Still, don't avoid the research because, because it, it becomes, you know, it, it really makes the, the, the script shine, those, those small gems. I mean, I went on the line, I literally found out, oh, this is, you use a tennis ball to break into a car? Cool. 
And that's you know? true? That really works? Oh, yeah. Well, it works on about 20% of the vehicles that are on the road right now, maybe 10%. Uh, so uh, if you're, if you're going to use it, you will probably be caught on the nine times out of ten in the wrong car, so I do not suggest you use it. Uh, there are better ways. No, I don't, I don't know if there are better ways. But, yeah, but if you find something cool and specific, you get to use it. But those are, that's, that's the flavor of it. Uh, of course, you're researching a character and, and a, a, a historical uh, a figure. Of course, that's a totally different thing. When I was thinking of doing a project on Martin Luther King, I read and read and read and read. I ended up not doing the project. But, uh, uh, but you really wanted to, to know everything about him. Finding your time frame is also really important uh, because your research, you're doing something of a, of a, of a historical nature of a, or, a, or a big piece. You want to tell a small slice of that. I think the movie Capote did a great job of that. You know, it, just, it told us all about you know, Truman Capote, but only during the time that he was writing in Cold Blood. And, and so, much of the, so much of that was, was really revealed who Capote was, but under the pressure of time. The, uh, I love compressing time. This one was done in five days. I mean, I mean the, the, this, this, not five days, but the whole, the whole structure, that's the next movie. The whole structure was over a limited amount of time. Uh, my next one, I was saying, I'm doing, I'm putting the multi-character story. I've been doing it over five days. Crash was 36 hours in people's lives. I like compressing that, and and uh, uh, with uh, as you compress, you get, you know, the you, the the stakes are naturally raised. Uh, people have to do things in a certain amount of time, um, or you only get a small window into them. And so I really like that. So that's one of the ways I I sort of narrow it down. I think you asked a question down here, right? Okay. Hello, good evening. Um, it's an honor to meet you, first of all. Uh, you are a passionate filmmaker, I think everybody knows. I can't knows. really hear you. Can hold oh, you're, a, you're an impassioned oh, filmmaker. A passionate, passionate filmmaker. filmmaker. But there must be, like in every other job, no matter if you're a doctor or a, uh, you know, a constructor, you have parts of the process that you hate. You know, is there something that you always, on every single film, you're like, not again? <laughs> yeah, uh, the blank page. I hate that blank page. Uh, I hate every scene I'm about to write because I know I can't do it. Uh, I know there's no way. And, and so I'll, I'll just say, okay, we'll just try. And so I'll, I'll write that scene and then I'll, and I'll go, oh, that, that wasn't that bad. And I'll look at the next scene and go, oh, but this one's impossible. Uh, and that happens every scene I do, every single scene I write. Uh, so that's, writing is the hardest and the worst. It, uh, it, 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 it always has. But when you actually get to direct it, the most important thing to do is remember what the emotional stakes are, because especially in a thriller or something, it's very easy to get caught up in a cool shot or, 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 or nice action bit or something that happens with a, with a stunt. And if you don't really truly care, if the actors aren't really playing that moment, then, then, uh, then, then it doesn't matter. And, so, and, and if you just think, oh, it's just an actor walking across the street, the person has to go from here to here. No, the actor has to understand why they're walking across the street and what, what's driving them across the street. Or it just looks like someone walking across the street. We won't, we, won't, we won't give a damn. So you're basically telling them already, while you have these readings, not rehearsals, their objectives. Yeah, but I don't often have to tell them because usually they know. Uh, so I only, only, I only speak up if there's a confusion. Now, and usually, not, Russell Crowe wasn't confused at all. He, he knew this character. I, I had to nudge him here and nudge him there and ask him questions, but, but there was, it was very little I had to do to get a, you know, to get a, a, a terrific performance uh, from him. He, he, he gave me a fabulous performance without me even asking. 
Okay, well, thanks. Well, this is definitely an action film where you really care about what happens to these characters, which makes it very exciting to watch. So congratulations on the film, and thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.